Hi, my name is Carly and welcome to Arise's Sermon of the Week. We hope that you experience God as you listen to this message and that you find practical ways to be the hands and feet of Jesus within your community. So let's open up our spiritual ears as we listen to this message. Hey, I am Tina Blunt. I'm your community pastor and I am thrilled to have the opportunity to continue our current series and bring you the word this morning. But before we get to that, today is our volunteer spotlight because Arise has the best volunteers in all of the area. Yes, come on, you can do better. You can do better. Y'all are amazing. And on the first Sunday of every month, we like to spotlight our volunteers. And so today, we are going to spotlight one of our volunteers that if he doesn't do what he does, if he doesn't take fabulous snapshots, our social media will not pop. Will you put your hands together as we celebrate Kenny Winston? There he is. Come on, give it up for him as he comes. It's awkward to come in dry. Let him come in, come in, come in. Kenny is one of our photographers that takes pictures during our services. And so we love our corny, cheesy gifts around here. We got him a box of Rice Krispies because it's all about the snap, the crackle, and the pop. Come on, give it up for Kenny. Thank you so much. Hey, there's something else that we are celebrating today, and we leaked it, we dripped it just a little bit on social media this week, so some of you may have already seen it, but just in case you haven't, we received the honor this week of being recognized by Outreach Magazine as the 56th fastest growing church in the country. What that means, here's why we get excited about that, because we are advancing the kingdom together, right? And that's what we get excited about. Man, doesn't it feel good to get recognized, right? So like Kenny just got recognized as our volunteer spotlight and Arise was just just recognized by Outreach Magazine. Doesn't it feel good to get recognized? I mean, some of us really like it kind of loud and proud and in front of a crowd when we're recognized. And others of us like, just, just tell me I'm doing a good job privately. And you know, that's the beauty of the word of God. The beauty of the word of God is that it is filled with so much encouragement. And it's filled with so much affirmation. And sometimes when you read it, does this ever happen to you? The words just leap off the page and they're life-giving to you. Does that ever happen to you? And you're like, God, I needed to hear good job. I needed to hear it. But you know what? Sometimes the word of God isn't that warm, fuzzy stroke. Sometimes the word of God is hard and it's tough to swallow and it steps all over our toes. And, you know, we're in a series right now called It's the End of the World as We Know It. And I love those words, as we know it, because whether we like it or not, our world is changing. You know, once upon a time, the church was the center of the community, and God was the center of a believer's hearts. But right now, it's complicated. It's complicated because we live in a culture that doesn't honor God the way it once did. Am I telling the truth or am I making it up? It's hard out there to be a believer. It's hard out there. And you know, when, when, when God speaks, he speaks and he says to us from great compassion, listen, I recognize that you're trying to be faithful. I recognize that you are serving me and you're doing all that you can. But he also speaks to us at times and he says, but you, or you, or you, I got a little bone to pick with you. 
And as we continue in our current series, we are right now breaking down seven letters that the Lord wrote to seven different churches in Asia Minor. He had something he wanted to say to each and every church. And if you remember in week one, he said, listen, some of you have lost your first love. There, there was, there was a, a hard rebuke in there. But then there was last week, and it was Smyrna. And man, they were dealing with this really rich environment of persecution. And so he encouraged them, and, and he said, listen, don't be afraid. Life's going to be hard, but hang in there. Today, we come to the third church. And the Lord Jesus meets with John on the island of Patmos, who had been exiled there for preaching the gospel. And he says to him, I need you to write a letter to the church of Pergamum because there's some things that I have to say to them. And we have to remember that as a church, that when the Lord was speaking to them, he's also speaking to us today because their world was changing. Their landscape and the environment in which they lived was rough. And for some of us, we're right there with them. You see, the Lord comes to them and, and he says, listen, I have some things to say to you and I wanna give you some recognition because some of you are doing a great job. He says to them, some of you are doing a great job. In fact, let's look at his letter right now in Revelation chapter two, beginning in verse 12. He speaks to the church of Pergamum and he says to the angel of the church in Pergamum, I want you to write these words. He's telling John, I want you to write these words. These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. Let's just pause there. He says, I want you to know that when I speak, there's a double-edged sword coming out of my mouth. And he says, and when I speak, I'm going to bring you some words, and man, they're going to comfort you. They're going to cut you in all the places you need to bleed in the right ways. But I'm also going to turn that sword. And for some of you, you're going to get the other side of it. And it's going to cut open some places inside of you that are infected and polluted and that need to be spilled out so that I can pour new wine into you, so that I can pour new blood into you. And so he tells them right out of the gate, this is who's speaking. I think in Star Wars, they say something like this, remember who your father is. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't watch Star Wars. I might have just made it up. But that's what he's saying here. Remember who your father is. I'm the one who has the sharp double-edged sword. And then he says to them, I know where you live. You ever feel like God didn't know where you lived? Like he just didn't know what you were going through? Did you ever feel like, God, you have no idea. I don't hear you. I don't see you. I don't feel you. And God says in this, listen, I know where you live. I know what you're going through. You know why I know what you're going through? Because you live where Satan has his throne. That's where you live. You're not living in a city where I'm on the throne. He says, you're living in a city where Satan is on the throne. And then he goes on and he says this. He said, yet, yet, you've remained true to my name. You've remained true to my name. See, that was a big deal. That was a really big deal in Pergamum. Because see, in Pergamum, they worship gods of all kinds of names. See, this was a territory that was made up of Rome. It was a territory that was made up of the Greeks. It was a territory that was made up of the Jews. And collectively, they worshiped little gods and goddesses by every kind of name. They worshiped Zeus. They worshiped Asclepios, which was the god of healing. 
They asked, they worshiped the God of Demeter, which was the God of revelry and wine. They, they worshiped Athena, which was the God of wisdom. They worshiped all of these different gods. There were 20, 220 acres that made up Pergamum. And there were no less than 12 different temples. And the people would go around and they would worship when, when they needed provision. And they would worship when they needed healing. And they would worship at this idol when they wanted to get a little wild and frisky. And then there was the church of Jesus Christ who didn't worship all of those gods and goddesses. They worshiped the one true God, Jehovah. And so he says to them, he says, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you have remained true to my name, to my name. He says to them, you did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. You see, before we go any further, Antipas, let's talk about him. He was a bishop. He was like a pastor of pastors. He was like Pastor Bren over this area. And he said, I'm not going to that temple and worshiping. And I'm not going to that temple and worshiping. And more than that, I'm going to tell my people that when they dabble and they come to church, but then they stop by the healing temple on their way home, that they're wrong. And so because Romans were in charge, because that Pergamum was such an influential city, because the, the government of Rome was literally set up there in Pergamum, they were really familiar, this church was, as they're listening to Jesus talk to them about the sword of Rome. You see, it was said that in Rome... There was another sword. There was a sword that the Roman government could use to kill anybody and everybody who got out of alignment. When, when you said, yes, I'm going to church, but then I'm going to go drink a little bit at the football party, when I'm going to go party a little bit at the club Sunday night, when, when I'm going to go, you know, take a little bit of this to, to shave off my anxiety, when, when they began to stop at all of the other temples on their way home, or they didn't. Rome said, I'm going to take you out with this sword. I don't like you. I'm going to take you out with my sword. And so they knew what God meant when he talked about in this letter that Antipas had been murdered. Because Antipas said, we can't dabble on both sides of the fence. You're either all in or you need to get out. And so they understood it. In fact, here's what was so interesting about the sword of Rome is that the Roman governor liked to intimidate the citizens, especially the Christians. And so they would take the person that was being about to be murdered, the person who hadn't shown respect to the other gods and goddesses, and they would parade them through the city. And they would put guards around him, and they would stand with the sword out in front as a way of intimidating and humiliating the people. And so God is so proud of them right here. He's so proud of them. And he said, listen, in spite of the fact that all of that is happening, in spite of the fact that they killed your beloved Antipas, you have been faithful to my name. And man, that feels good. Can you put yourself in their seats for a minute? Can you just go, man, that feels so good. 
to know that God sees you, that he sees what you're going through, that he knows that, that you've been faithful. Can, can you just feel it for just a moment? But then the angel of the church of Pergamum, the pastor takes a breath because the second half of the letter is coming. And the second half of the letter begins with the Lord saying these words, nevertheless, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. He says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Yes, you've been faithful. Yes, you've held fast to my name. But there's more. He says, I have a few things against those of you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, he says, you have those that hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans, and the Nicolaitans believed that you could serve multiple gods. And so he's a little frustrated right here. Let's go back a slide. And the Lord says, I'm, I'm struggling with you. See, we like hearing affirmation from Jesus. We like coming to church and having the pastor say, good job, keep the faith. And church, can I say, good job, keep the faith. But God also speaks and he says, but nevertheless, not all of you have kept the faith. And man, that's tough. It just feels like someone's just stepping on our toes. And so I'm sure, sure the church at this point like leaned in a little bit and probably looked to the left and to the right. Surely he's not talking about me. Surely God isn't talking about me. What, what does he mean by that? You see, in Numbers chapter 22, the Lord actually unpacks what he was talking about here. You see, it was a time in history that the Israelites were, they were making their way towards the promised land. The first generation of them had died. The second generation had grown up. And now they're on the way. But they had to go through this land called Moab. And the king of Moab, King Balak, man, he didn't like the Israelites. And so he went to this prophet, some of them call a sorcerer by the name of Balaam, that the Lord's talking about here. And he said, hey, could, could you help a brother out? Could you just put a little curse on the Israelites? Because, man, I've heard they're powerful, and they're about to come through my city, and I need them to not take out my city as they come through my city. And so Balaam says, all right, let me ask the Lord. Lord, what do you think? He's, you know, he's offering me some money here, like there's some prestige in this. What do you think? Can I put a curse on him? The Lord says, no, you cannot curse the Israelites because you cannot curse what I have blessed. And they were a blessed people. And so Balaam, he goes back to King Balak, and he's like, King, so, sorry, God said, no, I can't do that. And you would have thought that was the end of the conversation. But the king was motivated. So he kept approaching Balaam. So go back to God and ask him again. Go back to God and ask him again. Now, some might make you just pause for a minute. If God already said no, why did he keep asking? For the same reason you and I do because we don't like being told no for an answer. We want what we want, and there was a reward for him there. And so after a couple of encounters going back and forth with God, there was this whole encounter that played out with a talking donkey. You should read it in your Bible. It's really cool. God says, I said no. 
Well, then why was the Lord unhappy with the church of Pergamum? Why was he not happy with them? Well, here's the thing. Balaam discovered if you cannot curse someone, do everything your power to corrupt them. And so he speaks and he says, I'm not happy with you because of what Balaam taught Balak. You see, Balaam went to him and said, listen, I can't curse them, but here's what can happen. You can send your Moabite women in, and the Israelite men are going to be susceptible to them. And it's going to be a slow fade, right? There's going to be a slow moving of compromise happening here. At first, the ladies are going to cook them up something nice, maybe some meatloaf and mashed potatoes, maybe some macaroni and cheese or Salisbury steak, maybe just steak and a baked potato. Well, what's so wrong with that? Here's what's wrong with that. They put it on a plate, and they said, Baal, God of the Moabites, would you bless this food? And then they handed it to God's people, and God's people ate it. And that little nibble began to turn into a little nibble on those Moabite women's ears. And before you know it, they were marrying Moabite women and leading a life of idolatry. And and the Lord is upset with them. He says, listen, there's a problem here. There is a problem here. And the same problem that was happening here in the Israelites was happening in Pergamum. The same problem. The, the, the Christians were being tempted to give in to idolatry. And that's why the Lord speaks. And he says to them, listen, I know where you live. You live where Satan has his throne. And in doing so, he says to them what he says to us. He says, church, this is not your home. Your address might read Brandon or Valrico or Tampa or Riverview, but he says to us, this is not your home. It's exactly what he was saying to Pergamum. I know that you have put roots here. I know that you have traveled and you've planted a church here. And I know that this is where you're worshiping, but this is not your home. Scripture tells us that we are citizens of heaven, not earth. And he says, and I'm really frustrated with you because there are some of you that are acting like this is your home. And man, you are out for all you can get. I want the pleasures of the community. I want the power of the community. I want the money of the community. I want the peace of the community. And I still just want to be able to go to church on Sunday. And unfortunately, the world we live in isn't that much different than the world they were living in. I know because when I first became a believer, I truly thought, in fact, I made it a conviction that said, all right, God, you get my Sunday, but I get my Monday through Saturday. And I will worship you and I'll put my hands in the air and I'll shout hallelujah, amen, God is good all the time. God God is so, so good. But Monday through Saturday, I'm gonna live any way I want. And that's what the Lord is saying here. He's saying, I've got a problem with the fact that you're living any way you want and that you're visiting these other temples. And he says, I I have a problem. I have a problem with the fact that you think it's okay that you can have multiple gods because he says, I'm the one true God. He says, friends, this is not your home. My home is in heaven. And he's rebuking them because they've compromised. 
You see, not only had they compromised, they were, I call it dancing with the devil in the blue dress on. Pergamum had become a playground. And when you and I compromise, when you and I give in a little bit to the things of this world, we compromise too. And if you're taking notes, point number two is this. Compromise is the devil's playground. Now, you and I don't compromise the way they compromised back then. We, we don't go and kneel ourselves at the temple of healing and pray that the God of healing will touch us. And, and we don't go to the God of provision and pray that God will provide for us. And we don't go to the temple of revelry or, or the God of wisdom or the God of power. But we compromise nonetheless. You see, compromise, it's, it's a funny word. Because if you look it up by definition, the, the, the first part of the definition is simply this. You give a little, and I give a little, and we get happy in the middle. But then there's, there's this other definition of compromise. This other definition of compromise says that there's a standard. And that anything that doesn't come up to it is a compromise. God set a standard for the church of Pergamum. He said, I am the one true God. I'm the only one you need. And yet they dabbled. They dabbled. And God wasn't pleased. He wasn't pleased when the Israelites did it. He wasn't pleased with those in Pergamum who did it. And he's not pleased when we do it. How do we do it? If we don't have temples to go to like they had in the day, how do we do it? Because make no mistake, we're all tempted to compromise. The Bible says that we each have our own tailor-made lust. For some of us, we have a natural bent towards the need for power. We have a natural bent. And, and instead of saying, instead of understanding that God says, listen, I determine who the authorities are in a company, in a country, in a family, in an organization, we decide, no, I'm going to go and get me some power. And I might step on you, and I might step on you, but, but I'm going to climb that corporate ladder, and I'm going to get me some power. Some of us, man, we, we have a need for healing. Like, we're, we're dealing with stuff, and we're sick in our bodies, and, and, and some of us are dealing with anxiety or depression. Some of us have trouble sleeping. Some of us have serious issues. And certainly there is a place for medicine. God created medicine and God created doctors. But sometimes instead of turning to God, G-O-D, we turn to things like CBD. And I'm not debating whether CBD is good or it's bad. What I am saying is that sometimes we turn to a bottle or to a pill because it hits our bloodstream faster and it doesn't take as much effort as to get on our knees and saying, God, I need your peace. I need your healing. And sometimes we, we struggle because we think all of our friends are out partying. All of our friends are out having a good time. Why, why can't we? And see, that's what leads to compromise is the belief that we're missing out. 
It's the belief that God isn't enough. It's a belief that God can't do what he says he can do, even though he's proven it again and again and again. And so we compromise. And at first, it, it begins in our heart. It begins in our heart. So, so let's just think about it for a moment. Why? Why did the church of Pergamum compromise? What, why? Why did they give in, as the Lord said? Why were they holding to the teachings that it's okay to visit these other gods, so to speak? Well, it's the same reason you and I do. Man, we get tired of feeling like an outcast. We get tired of being made fun of by our friends that don't believe in Jesus. We're tired of having them roll their eyes at us when we don't laugh at the joke that they just told. Or when we're not comfortable going to the places that they're going. When we have a position of a political nature or a social nature and we post it on Facebook. You're like, I'm tired of the persecution. I'm tired of being threatened by somebody's sword or at least the sword of their tongue. That's why they gave in, because they were human. And that's why you and I give in as well, because we're human too, because we forget that God is the author of life that he is able to sustain us and meet every need we have. We forget that he not only has authority, but he has sovereignty. We forget that life isn't supposed to be all happy sunshine and roses, that, that this life is gonna be hard and it's going to get harder as our political climate unravels, as our social climate unravels, as our health crisis continues to unravel, life will continue to get harder for you to stand as a believer. Maybe you don't face much persecution at this particular time. Can I encourage you, get outside your bubble for just a minute, and you will. See, I don't know about you, but I like my Christian bubble. I'm safe inside my bubble. People like me inside of my bubble. People don't give me grief inside of my bubble. I can say God is good and, and I'm most safe in that environment. But when I step outside of that bubble and I take a stand for my faith, there's a sword waiting for me. Do you ever feel like there's a sword just waiting for you? Just waiting for you? God says, I get it. I know where you live. I know where you live. You, you live in a place where the enemy is still on the throne. You live in a place that will tempt you to ride the merry-go-round of, of Satan's choosing, to get caught up in, in an area of compromise that you, you don't know how to back down from. He will fill you with condemnation and guilt and the Lord says, I have a solution for you. I have a solution for the websites that you look at late at night and the payday loans that you use to supplement and bridge this week to that and for the drugs that you take to calm your soul and the, for the flirtations that you flirt with because you're not feeling recognized at home for the times when you laugh and you know you shouldn't. 
for that thing that you watch and you're like, oh, I feel awful. God says, I see you. I know where you live. I know you're on a playground that seems like the gate is locked and you can't get out. He says, I see you trying to climb the fence. You're sitting on the fence and you look this way and there's my house and there's my presence and there's my love and there's my promises, but you look that way and those are your friends and your family and your security and your job and your things. And the Lord looks at us and with great compassion, but urgency says these words, repent therefore. He says these words, repent therefore. Repent, repent, repent. I believe those words to us today mean get off the fence, church. Get off the, get off the fence. You can't lean this way on Tuesday because it feels good and then lean, lean this way on Sunday. You wonder why you don't have peace. You wonder why you can't hear my voice. You wonder why you don't feel his presence. He said, you're sitting on the fence. He said, I need you to get off the fence. I need you to repent. See, repent isn't just, isn't just feeling sad. It, it's not just being sorry. It's about changing your mind. It's about lining your mind up with his mind. That's what it's about. And saying, God, I'm all in. I'm all in. Consequences be damned, I am all in. The Lord says, repent, therefore. We're not done. But I'm just going to give you an invitation for a minute. Is he talking to you today? You see, we can get in our heads and we can think, man, I know somebody who needs to hear this message. And we can get it all in our heads and, and, man, I've got facts. I've got notes upon notes upon notes. I've got statistics that I can tell you about this city and about this church. But I don't think that was what God wants to say today. Is there an area in your life that you've been dabbling in sin? There's somebody in here that, man, you, you've got a problem with gossip. It's your power trip. It's what makes you Zeus at the office. Because you're in the know. And you have no problem sharing it. There's someone in here that God says, listen, I have shared with you how to get healthy. There's a lifestyle of healing that, that I'm calling you to walk in. There's a lifestyle of exercise. There's a lifestyle of eating. But man, it's so much easier to do it the fast way, the cheap way. There's somebody here today that, you know, it's hard to give up that party life. It's hard to give it up. It's hard to walk away from it. For somebody else, your area of compromise is a critical spirit. And it doesn't matter how good or how beautiful something is. You're the one that can see what's wrong in it. 
There's a standard that God's called us to live. There's a standard that he's called us to rise to. And it doesn't mean that we can't have a good time because I don't know about you, but I've had an amazing time at times in God's presence. I mean, there ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party. My partying just looks different than the way it did a few years ago. And God says to his church, repent therefore. Now I recognize in a room of this size, some of you are are like those in Pergamum who God said, listen, you've been faithful and I'm so proud of you. There are some of you in this room that that's your word this morning. You need to hear that recognition. You need to hear that affirmation. You need to hear, God, I've been holding on and holding out and resisting and proclaiming your goodness. And if that's you this morning, God's word to you says, well done. I'm so proud of you. Nevertheless, there are some of us in this room, man, we haven't been a very good husband or wife or parent or friend or child of the most high God. with great compassion, the Lord wants to call you back to himself. With great compassion, the Lord says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden with sins and burdens that are too heavy for you to carry. And I will give you rest. Can you just take a moment right where you are? You don't have to stand up. Just close your eyes. Just shut yourself in with God for a moment. Have you been giving him lip service? Have you been giving him excuses? Have you been compromising in little bitty ways? The Lord says to you, repent, therefore. I know where you live, but this is not your home. And the playground that you are hanging out on, it's going to catch up with you. I don't need you to raise your hands. I don't need to do an altar call. I need to give you the opportunity to make it right with God. To say, God, I'm sorry. And if you're not one of the ones that needs to do that, then thank him for his strength and his encouragement that allows you to remain faithful. Thank him. Thank you for your strength. Repent, therefore. You see, when 
those in Pergamum did something that Rome didn't like. They were intimidated. They were threatened. Rome held up a sword and said, you worship my gods or this is your future. God speaks in in Tina breakdown of language. He says, you know that sword of Rome? Yeah, that's a butter knife. And yep, it might slit your wrist, it might slit your throat, it might stab you through. But I have a sword too, God says. You see in scripture after he says, repent therefore. He said, if you don't, he said, I'm gonna come to you and I'm gonna fight against you. I'm gonna fight against you with the sword of my mouth. He said, I'm gonna bring judgment and it's not just going to be earthly, it's going to be eternal. He said, I'm gonna bring my own sword and here's the beauty of God church. He wasn't trying to intimidate them. He was simply stating a fact. He was simply speaking truth. He's saying there is going to come a day And this sword is going to be the threshing floor. It's going to meet you there. And it's going to split the wheat from the chaff. And it's going to say, you who act like you follow me, who act like you're all in, you go there. But to those of you who are truly faithful, to those of you who are truly faithful, I've got a promise for you. You see, when the citizens didn't, line up with Rome. Rome said, do what I say or else. But God says what the else is in his kingdom. He said, listen, to to those who overcome, to, to those who do what I'm asking you to, to get off the fence, to repent therefore. He says, listen, two things are going to happen. He said, I'm going to give you some hidden manna. He said, I'm going to give you that thing that you have been seeking elsewhere from me. That thing that you're like, listen, I'm lonely, God. I'm looking for love. I'm going to, I'm going to the temple reverie. God says, I'm going to give you some of that. I'm going to meet your need. And for those of you who have been going to the temple of provision, God says, I'm going to give you some hidden manna. Manna was heavenly bread. The Israelites received it when there was nothing to eat, when they couldn't generate it, when they couldn't create it. God gave him manna and he says, I'm going to give you manna because that temple that you're worshiping at, it's a false God. It can't give you anything, but I can meet your needs. He's promising them the bread of life, life itself. And then he goes on and he says, not only am I going to give you hidden manna, he said, I'm going to give you a white stone and it's going to have a new name written on it known only to the one who gets it. Now in our world, stones don't mean a whole lot to us. But in this day and age, if you were to be invited to a gala of sorts, to an emperor's ball, your invitation wouldn't come on paper. It would come on a stone. And it would have your name engraved on it. And for those who had been ostracized and treated like an outcast and treated like they weren't important and treated like they weren't valued, that would have been so meaningful. 
It would have been a promise that one day they were going to go to the only dinner party that ever really matters. They were going to sit with the only host that ever really mattered. That they were going to sit with Jesus because their name was written in stone in the Lamb's book of life. And they would have life to look forward to. God speaks through his letter to the church of Pergamum. He says, I know where you live. I know what you're going through. I know you're dabbling on the playground of Satan. And I'm telling you today that it's time to get off the fence. He says, I've got all you need. Everything you need, I've got, I can give you. And if you will get off the fence and you will trust in me, not only will I meet your needs today, I'm going to secure your seat at my table for eternity. And then you know what God does? And, and this might be my favorite part. Because God knows that we're human. And I don't know about you, but during the times that I have compromised, man, am I wrecked with guilt and shame. And man, I can't even lift my hands, let alone my head. Because I know that I have fallen short of the glory of God. I have fallen short of the standard that God set and empowered me. That I've heard his voice when he said, Tina, that's fire. Don't go there. And I went there. And he knows that, that we struggle there. And so the beauty of that white stone is this, that had another meaning. You see, when people were in a court of law, the jury would be given two stones. They would give every juror a black stone and they would give them a white stone. And after they had heard the whole case, the jury would decide whether or not that person was guilty or innocent. And if they were guilty, they would take the black stone and they would either hand it to the defendant or they would just toss it on the ground and they would say guilty. And see, that's what the enemy does. The enemy knows where we struggle because not only is this his home, he's peeking in the windows of our homes. And he knows it and so he begins to bring condemnation. And we think I can't get free. Yes, I'm dabbling God in sin or I, man, I've jumped all the way in, but I can't get free and I can't tell anybody either because they're going to give me a black stone. But you see in the other pocket, come on somebody, in the other pocket, there was a white stone and Jesus says, when you come to me and you repent and you get your heart right, not only am I going to give you the strength you need to overcome this, not only am I going to promise you eternal life, he said, I am going to take that sin and that shame and I am completely going to remove it because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And that condemnation that you've been walking under, that shame you've been living under, it is gone in Jesus' name. And so I've given you the chance to repent and if you haven't, take it right now. And I've given you the chance to say, I'm on the fence or I'm off the fence. And if you haven't, take it now. But for those of you who have been walking around in shame, some of you for years, the Lord throws a white stone at you and he says, you are innocent. Come on, stand up with me. Stand up with me. Stand up with me. He is a God worthy of praising. He is the only God worthy of praising. He is the only name that is above every name. And there's going to come a day where we will bow our knee to him.
could it be today? Could, could it be today? Close your eyes, shut yourself in with God for just a moment. Maybe you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to him. Or maybe you did, but you took it back a long time ago and put yourself back on the throne. Satan hasn't been on the throne of your life. You have. God says, today, repent, therefore. Repent, therefore. Make me your savior. Surrender your life to me today. Let me write your name in stone so that you can seek with me in heavenly places. If you're here today, heads are bowed, eyes are closed, and God is speaking to you today, and you wanna surrender your life to Jesus Christ, would you just lift your hand to heaven? Would you just acknowledge him today? I see your hand, I see your hand, I see your hand, I see your hand. Praise God, hallelujah. People are coming home today, church. People are getting right today, church. Just everybody repeat after me, Heavenly Father. I admit I'm a sinner, but I accept Jesus Christ and the work he did on the cross for my sins. Today, I surrender my life to Jesus Christ and I make him my Lord and Savior. Come on, somebody, put your hands together and just praise the Lord today. So why did God care about this little church? Why didn't he just say to Pergamum, you know what, Satan's got his throne here. Y'all pack your stuff up, move a couple hundred miles up the road and we'll plan a new one. Because there were people in that city who needed Jesus. There were people in that city who needed to come to know him. There were people in that city who were confused because they saw believers act one way on Sunday, put bumper stickers on their car, but then act like this every other day of the week and they were confused. And so God said, I'm talking to you and 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 Tina Blunt, I'm talking to you. Get off the fence and worship me. Come on, y'all put your hands in the air. Just begin to worship him for a minute. From the place where you know he forgives you, from the place where you know that his mercies are new every morning, from that place that with your hands lifted, condemnation begins to fall off and shame begins to fall off. And you begin to worship him because he's worthy of worship. You see, we're not interested in behavior modification. We're interested in worship. We're interested in worship. We're interested in worship. And as we worship him, as our hearts lean into him, as our hearts lean completely into him, those things we struggle with, God begins to heal. He begins to heal. And so as the worship team begins to play behind me, I'm just gonna begin to prophesy that in this room, right now, pornography goes in Jesus' name. And in this room, lying goes in Jesus' name. And in this room, gossip goes in Jesus' name. 
And in this room, the lust of the flesh goes in Jesus' name. And in this room, immorality goes in Jesus' name. And if you're struggling and I haven't named yours, then you just release it from your mouth. This goes. I will not partner with you anymore. Call it for what it is. It's a spirit. And I will not partner with you anymore. Open your mouths and use your voices today. I will not partner with you anymore. God, let healing come. Let healing come. Anger goes right now in Jesus' name. And raging goes right now in Jesus' name. And meanness goes right now in Jesus' name. And homosexuality goes right now in Jesus' name. And infidelity goes right now in Jesus' name. And sickness goes right now in Jesus' name. And healing comes. And God's spirit comes. And his presence comes. And his holiness comes. And the wind of his love comes. It comes. It comes. It comes in waves. It comes in waves. It comes in waves. And he's worthy of worship. He's worthy of worship. He's worthy of worship. There's a world that needs reached. And he needs you to reach it. He needs a pure bride. A bride dressed in white. To reach it. We've got to ask him, Lord. Commission my soul, Lord. I've been playing with fire, but I want to play with a different kind of fire. I want to play with your fire. I want to walk in purification and holiness. And I want to reach the lost. You matter. You matter. Hey guys, wasn't that such an amazing message? If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and to follow our podcast. Also, make sure to share this with your friends on social media and use the hashtag MyAriseChurch. For more information or to give to this ministry, go to MyAriseChurch.